How about this? A sitting congressperson calls for Democrats to rein in the Supreme Court. Now I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. And she's not alone. The vice president on the campaign trail promised big changes when Democrats retook their, quote, rightful place at the top of the government, end of quote. It's time to return to the original model, return to the truth. And we're TNN, the Truth News Network. And your roadmap into tomorrow is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Truth News Network's TNN Live. Thank you so much for being here today. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Do things change? Yesterday at this time, I would have never thought, never thought that we would today be without a United States House of Representatives Speaker of the House. But we are. We're going to dig into that. And the big player in this entire debacle is Representative Matt Gates from Florida. You know him. You hear him here regularly on TNN Live. He is a firebrand, no question about it. He is the instigator. But there are a lot of ancillary things that went with this process of removal of a House Speaker. For the first time in U.S. history, there's never been a speaker removed before this. There was an attempt back in 1910 that failed. But Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, is the first speaker of the House to ever be pulled out of his office, pulled out of his position. We've got some folks that are going to weigh in on it. And in just a few minutes, the one that I really want you to hear is Laura Ingram of Fox News last night. I don't know how she was able to do it, but she was able to get Matt Gates on the phone and talk about his role because he is the one that filed the motion to remove Kevin McCarthy. And we're going to get into what happens now. That, my friends, is more important than anything. You realize we have a Democrat in the White House. We have a Democrat-controlled Senate. We are facing an election for every member of the House of Representatives next year. Every one of the 435 members of the House of Representatives has an election next November. So there isn't, in political time, a lot of time between yesterday and next November election day to get the ship in order because... If the Democrats retake control of the House and keep the Senate and keep the White House, we are looking at Armageddon and politics in the United States of America. Not trying to scare you. I just want to make sure everybody thinks through this process and we find a comfort place where we know how to respond and what to do. You've had on this show... Many people come on this show and tell you your vote is the most important part of this representative republic we call the United States of America. That's the only button that you and I can push to make it happen, to make sure we have the right people in leadership. So we're going to dig into that. You're also, there's something kind of funky that's going to happen across the nation this afternoon. 
and it has to do with your cell phone. It's kind of spooky to me. We're going to check in with Glenn Beck of the Blaze Network. He's going to tell us what the history on this is and probably what it's all about. No need to be scared, just need to be informed. So before we do all of that, I need a little peaceful get-together, everybody just needs to get along song. I need one of those. So I'm going to turn to um, James Taylor, (laughs) his biggest hit ever. You've got a friend. (laughs) I need that today. I don't know about you. When you're down and troubled And you need some loving care And nothing, oh, nothing is going right Just close your eyes, thinking Yes, and soon I will be there to brighten yeah, even your darkest night. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come to see you. It's winter, spring, summer of all Really all you've got to do is call And I will be there, yeah, yes I'll be there You've got a friend If the sky Just call out my name, oh 
close friend. Guess what? She wrote the song. Now let me tell you how close friends they are. Think about this. That was the number one song of the nation for that year, the year that it came out. There's a lot of money involved when you write a song and it becomes a hit. So Carol King gave that song to James Taylor who made it number one. He made more money on that than she did back then. Now she's still getting residuals. So, believe me, she's doing okay. But that's the epitome. That relationship is the epitome of friendship, I think. And it goes along with all this stuff that I want to scream in the U.S. House of Representatives to say, can't we all just get along? Oh, my God. The mantra here that I address and have since this show began four years ago, I address this. Why, oh why, does it seem that members in Congress, not just in the House, in the Senate as well, why can't we all just sit down, have conversations, I mean real discourse, where we share each other's thoughts, our ideals, our wanted objectives and everything we do in the government, share it and talk about, look at, listen to, others' ideals on the same topics and then try our very best to reach consensus. And when we get consensus, we've got a really good place to start crafting laws for America. Instead, today, it's almost like everybody comes to Congress with a Tommy gun tucked under their coats. And when things get even slightly contentious, they pull out the Tommy gun and just start shooting everybody that disagrees with them. That may be an exaggeration. I really don't think it is. Honestly, I don't. I believe 
That's the way most of the people think. Political parties are the most divisive instruments in the United States today. There's no question about it. Even our forefathers warned us. Thomas Jefferson, he very famously said this, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but basically it was this. If I had to be a member of a political party to go to heaven, I'm not going to go to heaven. That's how deplorable many of, most of our forefathers that built this whole thing felt. Political parties are an evil that men create and use as weapons to pummel each other with. Look at the landscape of our nation and tell me we don't need to get together one-on-one and talk through all these things. And then I heard just minutes ago the, the Speaker Pro Tem, the one who steps in in the middle of this thing because, of course, Speaker McCarthy got shelled late yesterday. He's gone. We don't have a Speaker of the House. But the temporary stopgap, the pro tem, somebody in the middle is going to act as speaker until they can get a new speaker elected, hopefully in the next week or so. He sent them all home. He said, you guys just go home for a week. Now think about that in the context of what we're facing. We got a temporary stay of execution on our federal government shutting down. And we only have like six weeks to get something put in place a budget. The budget of the United States has got to be put in place in 45 days. And he sends them home for a week. So much of this, I just don't understand. And I'm not a stupid individual. I'm not. And neither are you. We are people because we, me here and you there today, we're people that really care about life in the United States, how it is today and how to make it better and how to keep it from falling apart. And they're not doing that. They're not doing it at all. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it is an important topic and it's got far-reaching things that we're going to have to get into and deal with. So in a short little synopsis, I want you to hear how mainstream legacy media outlets reported this ouster yesterday of Kevin McCarthy. This one from ABC News. Tonight, for the first time in U.S. history, the House has voted to oust the Speaker. Kevin McCarthy brought down by a handful of hard-right members of his own party who were furious with McCarthy for working with moderate Republicans and the Democrats to keep the government open. And tonight, the House now grinding to a halt until Republicans can agree on a new Speaker with yet another government shutdown now looming all over again. The ousted Speaker McCarthy leaving the chamber after the stunning rebuke. You'll recall the chaos in getting him elected Speaker of the House in the first place. It took 15 votes over five days. McCarthy made concessions at the time to win that vote. One of those concessions was a new rule allowing just one member to call for the Speaker's removal. Tonight, Florida Congressman Matt Gates doing just that. Democrats insisting today this is up to Republicans to get in order. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries calling on Republicans to break from the extremists and end the chaos. Instead, the Speaker ousted, the House halted, another shutdown now looming, and the search for a new Speaker now begins. ABC senior congressional correspondent Rachel Scott leading us off on the Hill tonight. 
Tonight, for the first time in American history, the House of Representatives voting to remove its speaker. Kevin McCarthy booted from his position after a rebellion by a mere handful of far-right members of his own Republican Party. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Heading into the vote, McCarthy putting on a brave face. I need a hole. Make a hole. I don't see a point Make a hole. What brought him to this point? A revolt of a small handful of right-wing rebels, furious that McCarthy cut a last-minute bipartisan deal with House Democrats and 125 House Republicans to prevent a government shutdown. At the end of the day, keeping government open and paying our troops was the right decision. I stand by that decision. McCarthy's speakership defined from the start by the axe hanging over his head. With a thin Republican majority, he made concession after concession to win the support of that small right-wing faction. One of those concessions agreeing that a single lawmaker could call a vote to remove the speaker. Today, Congressman Matt Gates of Florida did just that. Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and he has failed to take a stand where it matters. So if he won't, I will. With so few Republican votes to spare, I asked McCarthy whether he was counting on support from Democrats to bail him out. Do you need their help to remain in leadership? No. Um, if, five, if five Republicans go with Democrats, then I'm out. So it's, it's, it's whether. Likely. Probably so. He was right. Democrats made it clear they would not come to McCarthy's rescue. We encourage our Republican colleagues who claim to be more traditional to break from the extremists in the chaos, in the dysfunction, in the extremism. It left the vast majority of Republicans, those squarely behind McCarthy, infuriated and frustrated with Gates and his few allies. They're willing to, ca to plunge this body into chaos and this country into uncertainty for reasons that only they really understand. I certainly don't. But it was not enough to save Kevin McCarthy. Eight Republicans joining Democrats to vote him out. Late today, McCarthy announcing he would not run again. I hope you realize that every day I did the job, regardless whether you underestimated me or not, I wanted to do it with a smile. Chaos on the Hill again, so let's get right back up to Rachel Scott. She's on the Hill tonight. Rachel, what happens next? And until there's another speaker, essentially the work of the House is halted, not to mention another a potential government shutdown now looming. David, tonight, McCarthy lashing out at those rebel Republicans, insisting they are not real conservatives. As for what comes next, Republican Congressman Patrick McHenry, a close ally to McCarthy, will serve as the temporary speaker until a new one is elected. But it's unclear how long that will take. The House has now canceled votes for the rest of the week. And as I told you, that temporary Henry, Speaker Pro Tem, sent him home said, go home for a week, like they haven't been home. They had a two-month, a two-month vacation, go home, take care of your business at home, campaign, do all those kind of things. And we don't have a budget. It was supposed to be done before the end of last month. I'm very frustrated today. But look, I don't want to spend the whole show talking about this one thing, but I want to make sure you have the facts. You just heard the mainstream media version of what happened. 
We're going to get to Laura Ingram in just a minute. And the reason I'm going back to Laura, she she was here with her talking points, her Ingram angle on yesterday's show. But it's important to me that we hear from the guy who was the firebrand that instigated this whole thing, Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. Now, Gates is a very young, aggressive guy. You never question where Matt Gates is in his thinking. And he's one of those people on pretty much everything. He may not cross the line, the proverbial line, in anything that he's doing, even as a congressman. He may not cross the line, but often he walks right up with toes, just shy of the line. He says anything that comes to his mind, and he hacks off a lot of people. I like the guy. I really do. He's a good speaker. He speaks clearly. I don't think anytime I hear him talk, especially about political matters, I don't think he pontificates. I think he's genuine. Now, people can be genuine and still be wrong sometime. I'm sure you've seen that in your own life. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. So Laura Ingram, their people had Matt Gates to be on her show live last night in the studio. And he was hung up in meetings at the White, uh, excuse me, at the Capitol Hill up on the Hill. He couldn't go to the studios for Fox News in D.C. to do that live with her. But I give him kudos for this. When he finished the meeting, his people then got him connected with Laura Ingram. So you're going to hear what Laura had to say, questions, and as you probably know about Laura Ingram, she didn't give him any slack. She went right for the gusto. In the middle of this, she broke away because Kevin McCarthy, for the first time, had a press conference, and he was talking about the events of what happened. And then they went back to Matt Gates with Laura Ingram. So what we did, we edited out the Kevin McCarthy part, and... Uh, there's a slight break in the middle of this. You'll recognize it, but it's important to me that we hear Matt Gates respond to somebody who isn't afraid to ask a politician anything. Now the man behind today's effort that led to the ouster of the now former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Congressman Matt Gates, joins me live. Congressman, thanks for being with us tonight. I, I want to get right to the criticism, the chief criticism by some of your GOP colleagues that we've been covering that it, and, and the angle made the point that it took your aligning with Democrats and even pals of Liz Cheney and the Republican Party like Ken Buck to produce a result that as of now has no solution. So what's your response to that? Well, the solution's quite easy. We should get to electing a new, more conservative, more trustworthy speaker immediately. And I'm calling on Patrick, Patrick McHenry, who currently is the speaker pro tem, to reconsider the decision that he just made to send everyone in Congress home for a week. This is not the time to go home for a week. We should stay and elect a new speaker. That's the path ahead. As far as the criticism that I worked with Democrats, 
the yellow brick road of working with Democrats was paved by Kevin McCarthy. Whether it was the debt limit deal, whether it was the continuing resolutions, this is a guy who was willing to partner with conservatives on the frivolous, right. but whenever there was a spending matter, he partnered with Democrats. That said, Speaker McCarthy's time is over. I wish him well. I have no personal animus to him. I, I hope he finds fruitful pastures, and, and I'm certain he will, but we've got a job to do here. This is about the job. This is about keeping our commitment to have single subject spending bills and an actual budget. Get there. The first time Congressman, uh, we've already established tonight that that we I mean, I have been doing this with, with all due respect decades longer than you. OK, you're a young guy. And so I agree with all, I don't the believe that, Laura. Did yeah. You right. Start when you were like three. You right. Too continuing resolutions, the budget, the spending. All, it's a total nightmare. But the yeah. fact of the matter is y'all don't have the votes. You don't have the margin to from get to get from A to B to C. And so how does that. this get you closer? I, I categorically okay. reject that we don't how have do you get, for a budget. Hold on a second, Matt. How do you get closer to to all these things that, that are legitimate concerns when you still have a Senate that says no can do? I mean, you got you got several senators who are actually completely on the other side on a lot of these no, issues. Right. You still have that uh, to you, contend with. So how do you get to your nirvana points, which are the conservative holy grail points of governance? The way yeah, so we're going. The Senate doesn't. The Senate does not control how the House approaches its spending business. So All right, hold on, Congressman. Hold on, hold on, because we got to go to McCarthy now. He's speaking live, but then you can respond on the other side. There's a slight break here, so I just wanted to come back and tell you you're listening to Laura Ingram. All right, we'll continue to monitor that. But back with me now is Congressman Matt Gates. Congressman, I know you've been listening in to former Speaker McCarthy's comments. Uh, he name-checked you and said, number one, you're not a real conservative because you don't want to govern conservatively. He also said that this really was personal, intimating that you're really PO'd, that he didn't step in and put down that ethics investigation into you. And he knows it's personal, and you know it's personal. And you say? That's totally false. I'm the most investigated man in the entire United States Congress. I've been cleared by the FBI, DOJ, the Federal Election Commission. But you don't and think so that I, McCarthy I feel... did enough to stop this? I mean, isn't that, no, I mean, listen, wasn't that well known listen, I, that you were I, I, mad I, that he didn't do enough to stop that investigation? I'm not saying there's anything an wrong with being mad, by the way. I'm not. By the way, the beginning of Speaker McCarthy's comments there were lovely and nice about his past and his history. But when he says we're not conservative because we didn't vote to secure the border, I think that does merit a response. We passed a Department of Homeland Security border bill that would have required E-Verify with a host of other reforms. Then on a continuing resolution, Kevin McCarthy wanted us to surrender every other fight. Jack Smith, weaponized government, everything else going on just to isolate the border thing. Now, I don't believe that the way conservatives get ahead is surrendering everything but the border in order to address the border. And I don't think that the way to address the border is to pass E-Verify and then say that the strong border position is the abandonment of E-Verify yeah. in a vote that occurs 14 well, hours later. you're not going to get so the border done not, like the way the we want to do it hold on, hold until on. you get the numbers. You're not going to get that border. You're not going to get what you want on the border. None of us are until you get the numbers in the House and you kick out some of these senators. Well, I don't think we're going to get, side. frankly, Laura, I, I think it's worse than that. I yeah. think we're going to secure the border until we have the White House. But I, I also want to address this notion that we aren't conservatives, right? Because what Kevin McCarthy believes about governing is that we have to utilize these continuing resolutions. And if the continuing resolution is conservative enough, if you hang some bells and whistles on it, that that really ought to pacify people who are right-leaning throughout the country. 
I believe that the only way to achieve programmatic reform and to put downward pressure on spending is to do what was done back in the 90s, where every individual bill is conferenced and debated and subject to amendment. And of course, you have to compromise. And of course, you have to govern. Matter of fact, just last week, I voted for four appropriations bills after my amendments were largely defeated by yeah, House I think moderates that point was, to put further yeah, pressure on spending. That so point was made, but they're making the point the tonight, Congress, and we only have limited time, so if you don't mind me moving on. But I, we made that point about what you did last week. But look, I think the concern here is that there, people are seeing your fundraisers instantly going out about this. You're raising money, and it, 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 it is oh, I'm, chaos I'm eager right to address now. That. And, yeah, let, well, okay. hold on. Let, let's well, address Is it the not fundraising. a fundraiser? I think we have a full screen of it. Yeah. Is it is yeah. it a fundraiser well, or not? And, and everybody fundraises. Again, I'm not, I'm well, not just by saying the way, that is another criticism of what's yeah, going on here. If I can get here. a word in here. Yeah, if I can get a word in here. I am the only Republican in the entire United States Congress who takes no lobbyist money and no PAC money. So absolutely, I communicate daily, vigorously with regular Americans because the only way I'm able to, to advance my political goals is if just regular folks give me 10, 20, $30. And so I will take no lecture from the likes of people who do three lobbyist fundraisers a day and trade favors in order to get cash from special interests on how I raise money. And I take deep offense to anyone who wants to criticize the the mailman, the, the active duty service member, the grandmother who believes in me and goes to MacGates.com to donate. Matter of fact, right. I hope they do that right now. And I'm not sorry play? for it at all because yeah. I won't take the lobbyist and pack money like every other person here does. Well, I think that's awesome that you don't. I think it's fantastic. By the way, um, do you plan to stay in the House are you planning, have you thought of running for office, like maybe the governor's race in 2026? What is your thought there? You know what, Laura? I think I'm exactly where I need to be, doing exactly what I need to be doing. What You're I need not to thinking be about it doing at all. is ensuring that we have, what's that? You're not thinking about it at all? I mean, come on. You're, a, no, you're an ambitious I, I am doing guy. This and again, job. there's nothing Look, wrong every with it, but why are we playing cute here? Every I, I'm not running for governor in 2026. I am here serving in the House in 2023 trying to get a budget. Why is it that when I'm trying to get a budget and single subject bills and a return to pre-COVID spending, all everyone's interested is in a political race that's three years from now. I am here doing this job. My voters elected me to do this, and that is what I've endeavored to do, at times with a very small group of people, but dedicated people, because we have to send a shockwave through Washington, D.C. Well, we you have to change this that. down, we have to change the system. Congressman, President Trump uh, took to Truth Social this afternoon, and he said that why is it the Republicans are always fighting among themselves? Why aren't they fighting the radical left Democrats who are destroying our country? Now, I know you've had conversations with President Trump, and you intimated that he was, you know, you understood where he was coming from, and it seemed to indicate that maybe he was maybe in favor of what you were doing, but wasn't going to say so publicly. What can you tell us tonight, since he really is the leader of the party and you are a MAGA Republican and he's the top dog, so what do you say? Absolutely. I support President Trump, eager to campaign with him. Probably our private conversations I'm going to keep to us, but I think I'm in pretty good stead with the former president. You'll see me on the campaign trail with him soon. And by the way, you know who you won't see on the campaign trail at a big rally? Kevin McCarthy. Because if Kevin McCarthy took the stage at a Trump rally, he would be booed off of it like Lindsey Graham. Well, Congressman, do you think that, let's say next year, and who knows how this is all going to play out, but next year, November, whatever it is, 8th, 5th, 6th, Republicans lose the House of Representatives because Democrats think this is going to help them. They wanted McCarthy out. The Democrats wanted McCarthy out just as much, looks like, as you did. So let's say Republicans lose the House. 
Will you feel any any regret for having done what you did today? Absolutely not. I believe that we were destined to lose the House if we didn't do what we did today because we didn't give anyone something to believe in. I've traveled all over this country and I have seen the despondence and the sadness in conservatives who don't believe that Republicans in Congress are fighting enough for them. Half of your monologues every night are about the failures of House conservatives to really dig in and fight. You are in many ways a true North to try to help us focus on the things that, that matter in, in these uh, contentious debates and discussions over legislation. But you know what? We're not going to lose the House. And you know why? Because Donald Trump is going to drag a bunch of people to victory who probably wouldn't have deserved it otherwise. But that's what happened in 2016. 2020 was, an, was another good year for Republicans at the congressional level. So when Trump's on the ballot, we do pretty well. And I suspect that we'll do well when he's our nominee. Congressman, we really appreciate you responding to McCarthy and joining us tonight. Thank you so much. Well, Matt Gates, Congressman from Florida with Laura Ingram and... As I told you, she put him through the ringer. She asked anything and everything that you and I wanted to know about the whys and what's next. And what's next has got to be they have to replace somebody. Somebody's got to come in and take the spot that Kevin McCarthy got kicked out of. Who will that be? Who are the likely candidates? I've got a few in mind. It won't take us long to go through the numbers either. We're going to do that right after this. Little Caesars Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring six forty nine in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesars. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesars Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just six forty nine. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And My Computer Career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. You know what's critical in all of this, more than probably anybody wants to think about today, is we got to get somebody in the speaker's seat 
we've got to get somebody to lead this House of Representatives. We've got very, very important things just laying out there that have got to be put together, put in place. We've got to have a budget. That means we've got a lot of debating to do to get the budget put together, and we only have about 45 days to do it. That's what that CR, continuing resolution they passed this past week, that's what it'll do. Who's going to do it? We can't do it from the House. McHenry sent them home for a week, members of the House? Come on now. If we're going to be serious about governing the people, we've got to put the structure in place to do just that. So who's going to step up? Who's going to replace Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House? Let me give you a few that are roiling around out there considering and people are considering. The first one is a friend of this show, Steve Scalise, congressman from New Orleans. He's the majority leader now. He's viewed by many rank-and-file Republicans as a natural front-runner. And there's one little problem with Steve. He's got multiple myeloma. If you don't know what it is, it's a very, very scary type of cancer in one's blood. One of my closest friends just went through about a three-year battle with multiple myeloma, and it took some major, major medical process that it took several years to get rid of it, but he did. It was successful. He was diagnosed, Steve was, with cancer earlier this year. He's already undergone some aggressive chemotherapy treatment. So he's got to make that decision. That's number one, Steve Scalise. Another congressman that is mentioned in this conversation, you hear him on this show all the time, Congressman Mike Johnson. Mike is younger than Steve Scalise. He hadn't been in Congress as long. He, Mike Johnson, is in leadership there. He's the number four in the power queue in the Republican Party in the House. I uh, reached out to Congressman Johnson last night, as you can imagine. I got in the queue of people that want to have him on to get his ideas and thoughts. You see him on all the TV talk shows. He really speaks well. And uh, he's a very, very conservative guy. I think Mike would do a good job, but I don't think he's going to take the gig if it's offered to him in deference to his close friend, Steve Scalise. Steve really wants the gig. And above all of the people that are out there, I think Steve Scalise has earned that opportunity if he wants it. Another is somebody you may not have thought about, Tom Emmer. Tom Emmer. Now, he is a, I don't want to diminish him in any way. He's a good guy. Emmer came from Republicans in tough electoral districts. He's very familiar to most everybody in the House. Representative Ralph Norman, who's a Republican from South Carolina, when asked about Emmer's claim that he didn't want to be Speaker, Ralph Norman said he didn't before. It's all happened so quick, who'd have thought that the vote would have gone down 216 to 210, Norman said, referencing the vote to oust McCarthy. We thought we had three or four, and I voted for Kevin. And then Kevin Hearn, another Kevin in the mix, Representative Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. He's the leader of the 175-member strong Republican Study Committee. Hearn has a long working relationship with moderates and conservatives, 
One source said that Hearn has been floated as a serious candidate. When asked about it, he said he's been approached by multiple members and that he would be interested in the role. He all but announced his intent to run for speaker on Newsmax Tuesday night. I've been asked by many to consider running, he said. We need somebody who can unite the party, move forward through the appropriations bills, cut the spending so we can get inflation under control. Anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, they got to go through that process and get those things done and get it started. And then, of course, there's Jim Jordan. He would be my pick, even though Mike Johnson is a good friend. Mike's doing such a good job for my congressional district, I really don't want him to leave. But Jim Jordan, he's another firebrand. He's the House Judiciary Committee chair. He's from Ohio. He emerged as a favorite candidate among the GOP hardliners last night. My mentor, Jim Jordan, would be great in that role. That's from Matt Gates in response to a conservative who voted to keep McCarthy, Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky, calling Jordan his first choice if he runs. And there are other members of the House that could be pulled into that role if they want it and they're willing to sacrifice because basically when you get in that role, you spend your whole your whole time away from home. And some of these that we mentioned have young kids at home. That's always difficult. And please remember this. When we... When we think about blasting those members from Congress, going home, being gone a week, a month, six weeks, they're not at home or they're not somewhere sitting on a beach. Yeah, they may take a few days. I I will tell you on a personal level, Mike Johnson and his family took their first vacation this summer that they've taken in four years together. That's the life of being in Congress. We all think it's glamorous. We all think it's fun and they have a great time. They do it because they're committed to the nation and service to the nation and to people they represent in those congressional districts. That's why they do it. You want to move on? Let's just move on. Fallout from what happened yesterday. We have an acting Speaker of the House Speaker Pro Tem, it's called. It's Patrick McHenry. And one of the first things he did, if not the first thing he did yesterday, he ordered Nancy Pelosi to pack up her things and to vacate her Capitol hideaway office she's lived in for so long. McHenry ordered Pelosi to get out. He sent her an email, sent hours after Kevin McCarthy was removed. Pelosi served as Speaker from 2019 to 2023 before Democrats lost the House, despite Republicans underperforming expectations of a red wave back in the last election. Please vacate the space tomorrow, he said in this email to Pelosi. The room will be re-keyed. Now, McHenry, who is he? You never hear much about him. He serves as Chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. He was McCarthy's first choice to serve as Speaker Pro Temper in the event that he was forced out, according to Politico. Sadly, because I am in California to mourn the loss of and pay tribute to my dear friend Diane Feinstein, I am unable to retrieve my belongings 
at this time. That was that was Pelosi. She wasn't even in the House for the vote. She had nothing to do with it, good or bad. Republican Representative Matt Gates introduced the motion. You uh, you heard his response to all the questions, and it's just getting started. It is just getting started. We're going to hear so much. He said, she said, here's what I think, and they can't say that. We're going to hear so much more of that over the next few weeks. It's really heartrending to me. You got to understand, we dive into this stuff every day here at Truth News Network. It's what we do. We go ferret out facts. We get information. We dig. We don't trust anything that we hear from legacy media. When they throw a bomb out there, what they call a truth bomb, we go vet the truth bomb for you. And as you know, many times the truth bomb, it's a bomb, but it's not the truth. Well, let's segue away from that. Okay, all of that. Let's just put it behind us. I feel kind of dirty sitting here thinking about all this stuff. And it's got to be done, though. It's got to be done. We, the people, have got to make sure it's done. And the right people are doing the right things. Let me tell you somebody who um, media is getting it right about. Joe Biden's economic approval numbers have hit an all-time low as the Biden administration continues to push the claim that Bidenomics is working. A new poll came out. Business Daily. Approximately 56% of us disapprove of Biden's economic policies. Only 24% approve. That's a big drop. Inflation has risen from about 3.2% in July to 3.7% last month well above the Federal Reserve's target of 2%. How in the heck Biden's handlers are allowed to get him out there saying the crap that he's saying, touting Bidenomics? He even did it when he was in Asia. When he was over there in Asia, he got up and bragged about it. Those people aren't stupid. They see and they know what's happening in the United States, maybe not to the extent that you and I know, But they keep up with this stuff, too, and he's over there bragging about it. There's an interesting thing that very quietly came out of the Supreme Court on Monday, and here's what it was. I mentioned this yesterday, but I want to tell you, give you the details. You know the name John Anthony Castro? John Anthony Castro. He was a little-known 2024 Republican presidential candidate. He's filed lawsuits in several states, and the lawsuits claim that Trump is ineligible to hold office under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. I went into the details of what that is yesterday. Basically, it says nobody can be in any kind of political office that has engaged in insurrection. And, of course, the bottom line is to that, by the way, the Supreme Court said they wouldn't even hear the case, is that Castro was arguing that Trump would siphon off votes if he's allowed to run, be on the ballot in any one of the 50 states in violation of the 14th Amendment. He hadn't even been charged. Trump hadn't been charged with anything close 
to what anybody could call insurrection. And I just thought, maybe I'm wrong, (laughs) but I just thought that um, in the United States you're innocent until you're proven beyond a reasonable doubt that you're guilty. Hadn't even been charged. That this stuff that's happening at that level in government today, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. There are states, leaders in states that are actually filing briefs. They're taking action to keep Donald Trump from being put on the ballot. They can't do that. And they're doing why they know they can't do it and get away with it. It's all, all of this is going to go through the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, they're going to knock it down because it can't be done. That 14th Amendment thing is there for a purpose, and it, my friends, is the law of the land. (laughs) And it's very specific. That's what blows my mind. If it was one of those issues that there is some, you know, gray area included within it, And there's room to talk about, well, you know, this could have meant this, so therefore we've got to honor it. This isn't one of those things that very plainly says why somebody could not hold elected office. And Trump doesn't fall into that category, period. Do they do it for political purposes to try to get people to send campaign dollars somewhere? Is that why they do it? They trying to make a name for themselves? I don't know, but it is wasting the people's energies. All of this stupid stuff that's being tossed around. Sadly, in the middle of all of that, people listen. And a lot of people make mental choices based on things they hear because it sounds like it's a big deal and it's a good deal. Like, man, my state's doing this. There must be purpose that's okay in this. So I guess I'm just going to believe what they're saying. That, my friends, is a dangerous thing to do. Now, again, talking about Trump. Did you hear yesterday? Trump's mired in that civil suit. It's not a criminal suit. It's a civil suit. The state of New York against Donald Trump and his businesses for doing a bunch of unethical, illegal things. That's the purpose for the suit. What the suit is, it's a campaign pledge made by Letitia James. It started back when she was the prosecutor in New York City. She said she was going to get Donald Trump, get rid of him. Well, then the voters in New York State voted her as their new attorney general, And all this is, is chapters two of her promise to go get Trump. But some interesting things came out yesterday. And the judge, who is very eccentric, really, really strange, um, he took some action against Trump yesterday. As we have some breaking news out of New York City. There's been breaking news in the case against Donald Trump, the the fraud case. Um, And this is Judge... 
Arthur Engeron, who Donald Trump has been going after outside of the courtroom, um, has now uh, put a gag order on all parties in the case, a specific gag order, though, regarding posting or publicly speaking about any member of his staff. This follows a truth social post from Donald Trump earlier today naming the judge's clerk and claiming that she was um, uh, she shouldn't be in that position because she was friendly with Chuck Schumer. There was a picture of the two of them together. Joining us now is NBC News correspondent Vaughn Hilliard, who's outside the courthouse, and former FBI general counsel Andrew Weissman and NBC News legal analyst. So, Vaughn, I, I very um, briefly touched on what happened, but please do explain what led to this gag order. Right. I just ran out of the courtroom where this trial is beginning again here this afternoon in lower Manhattan. And that principal law clerk of the judge continues to sit next to him about three feet away and about 10 feet away from Donald Trump, who remains in the courtroom this afternoon. This began in around the 11 a.m. hour during one of the courtroom breaks when Donald Trump posted on his so-called truth social media account uh, a photo of this principal law clerk with Chuck Schumer and suggested that she was Chuck Schumer's girlfriend. There is nothing to suggest, let's be very clear, that the principal law clerk is a girlfriend of Chuck Schumer. This was an image that was taken from her Instagram account. Of course, Chuck Schumer is the senator of New York, and there is nothing that disqualifies an individual from getting a photo with the senator of New York. But Donald Trump put this out into the sphere. Then during the course of the lunch hour, Donald Trump and his attorneys entered the courtroom about six different times, coming in and out to their holding room before returning to the courtroom. There's a period of time in which the press was not allowed in there while the attorney general's prosecutors were inside of the courtroom. And what we do know ultimately that came of all this was in the one o'clock hour, Donald Trump removed that post from his social media account. And then upon the reconvening of the courtroom, uh, the judge made it very clear, uh, saying in part, I want to read you, quote, consider this a gag order on all parties with respect to posting or publicly speaking about any member of my staff. Of course, Donald Trump has attacked the judge in this case head on, but it turned to the next level and him imposing this gag order on Donald Trump and the parties involved in this case when it came to directly attacking the law clerk. The proceedings continue here this afternoon, Katie, and that principal law clerk continues to sit by the judge's side and Donald Trump continues to stare both of them down as the first witness continues to testify in front of the prosecution. Just Katie. a little more context. This was a picture that she posted on a Instagram account that she maintained in connection with a campaign for a civil court judgeship. Can you believe that is a news story that a network news agency jumped on? Did you hear the reply to the guy that came on, not the second guy, but the first guy, when he said this, Donald Trump posted this on the so-called truth social social media site, so-called. They don't even hide their disdain, their hatred for Donald Trump. And they take every opportunity to grill him, to denigrate him. Andrew Weissman was sitting on that panel. You didn't hear him there. Andrew Weissman is the most evil attorney in U.S. history. He's destroyed the lives of multimillionaires only to have later 10 of them Merrill Lynch, put in jail 
because of what he did in federal court. Ten people. Think about a 55, a 60-year-old man that's been in the corporate world his entire life, has a family, and this Jake Lake federal attorney goes to court, files suits against them, criminal suits for fraud. The fraud is confirmed by a jury based upon evidence that they find out two years later, Weissman manufactured. So those 10 guys get out of jail. That's a great thing, isn't it? They lost everything, everything because of Andrew Weissman. And he did it three other times similarly. He's breathing down the neck of Donald Trump every day. And these people are out there and they're painting pictures for anybody that will look and they're spinning stories for anybody that will listen to this drivel. You know, the one thought when I saw that picture of uh, Chuck Schumer with that gorgeous young woman, Donald Trump's a New Yorker. So is Chuck Schumer. You think it just might be possible that Donald Trump knew who that woman was and maybe knew there's something going on between Chuck Schumer and that judge's assistant. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And it also doesn't surprise me when Trump says something like that because typically when it is said, it is true, and he's just using something to get under the skin of other people. I think he was successful in this particular thing. Oh, my God. We are just getting started. We have a dire prediction ahead by Tucker Carlson. You don't want to miss this. You'll hear it from Tucker himself. Speaking the truth, the left doesn't want you to hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high-fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. challenge you to do something I did yesterday. There's a new book out. It is written by Alex Marlowe. Alex Marlowe, you've probably heard the name. He's the, I think he's a managing editor of uh, Breitbart News. But this book is titled Breaking 
Biden, breaking Biden. And it, my friends, is a blockbuster already. What's it about? Well, it's an important book. And I'm going to read you something from the book jacket about breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration. It is a mind blower. We learn over Biden's 50-year career lifer, Joey Boy Biden, has become known for his gaffes, his lies, and his general creepiness. But Marlowe says it's not his policies failing or his absolute lack of accountability that's led to his historically low poll numbers. It's the presumption that something more insidious is lying under the surface. And this book, this book is a crash of lighting, exposing the Biden political machine in a way that was previously unknown. The secret cadre of consultants running Joe's world, how Joe sold America's intellectual property to communist China, how the whole Biden family bagged cash off the family name. I ordered it yesterday. I want you to order it too. Marlowe wrote this, the author. While media reports have focused University of Pennsylvania's Biden Center, less attention has been paid to University of Delaware's Biden Institute, even though these two institutes were opened on the same day and meant to serve a shared goal of being incubators of advancing globalism and leftism. The UPenn Biden Center became a pipeline for longtime Biden allies into his administration. And as previously reported by Peter Schweitzer, preceded a suspicious influx of Chinese donations to each of the universities. On December 11, 2018, University of Delaware announced it was naming its public policy school after Vice President Biden. Emails show that this move was orchestrated by members of UD's Biden Institute, University of Delaware's Biden Institute. It was on the day of the announcement that Hunter Biden received a text from his aunt and former Joe Biden campaign manager, Valerie Owens, who chairs, by the way, the Biden Institute, crediting him for the deepening partnership with between the Biden family and the university. Bravo, Hunter. University of Delaware was your baby and you made sure I was part of it. So even before the release of Breaking Biden, the book was already raising eyebrows from some high-profile figures in the media, including Sunday Morning Futures host Maria Bartiromo. Speaking with Maria, Marlowe implied a Chinese firm getting our strategic oil reserves makes little or no sense, save for the fact there is a connection with Hunter Biden. You do know Joe Biden sold almost of our strategic oil reserves, almost all of them, to the Chinese very quietly. And we're sitting there with our strategic oil reserves almost depleted. There's no reason for Chinese to get U.S. strategic oil aside from to benefit the commercial interest of the Biden family. 
That's just one thing coming out of that book. Again, it's called Breaking Biden. Alex Marlowe. Alex Marlowe from Breitbart News. And we normally don't come in and, you know, we do this kind of thing. But it's something, it's full of things that you and everybody around you need to know and understand. There's so many questions that have been out there. Why all the secrecy and nothing being done in the release of Hunter Biden's laptop? I mean, in interviews, in stories left and right, Hunter Biden, he acknowledged many, many, many things that later turn out to be, oh, you can't, well, there's no evidence that proves that. He said it himself. Tony Bobulinski, he, he was one of the first one that came out. He was a partner. He was excoriated after he gave those two or three big-time interviews, giving all of the information that we're now getting confirmed by the House Oversight Committee looking into and exercising the Biden impeachment inquiry. But these people were never listened to the first time. Why is that? Politically, who's in charge? The Democrats control the White House. They control the Senate. The House has a slim margin in the House. Legacy media are in the tank for anything and everything to do with Democrat causes, specifically and especially Joe Biden. I just wonder, every day I wake up, and I think through my day coming ahead when I first wake up. I uh, I do a prayer meeting every Monday through Friday morning at 6 a.m. Central Time. And it takes me about 15 minutes to get there. On my way there, I think through the stuff that are important for me to do during that day coming up so I don't just fly by the seat of my pants. And this whole thing, this whole process of U.S. government falling apart, not on its own, being ripped apart by politicos that are in the government, and it seems like they have no concept of bringing America together, government and we the people. It looks like they have purposely driven wedges, maybe quietly, but absolutely doing it, wedges between government and the people, the voters, the American citizens, for years. They look down on we the people. Who are we? We're not enlightened. They're the ones that know everything. They have all the power. They're doing everything they want to do, not enforcing the rule of law, not protecting the Constitution, and not fulfilling their constitutional requirements in the offices they serve in. But that's okay. We've allowed a class of hardcore sycophants to sit up there and just do anything and everything they want. You don't dare disagree because we're not numbered among them. So what do we do? Well, the big thing, one of the big things, besides the other stuff we've talked about today, open borders. Open borders. You remember, I I tell you every once in a while, I bring this up. In two years, in the state of Texas, two years, I think it was 2018, 2019, maybe 2019, maybe 2020, Texas Department of Public Safety, they released all of the statistics 
of the criminal acts that were committed by illegals in that two-year period against Texans in Texas. 600,000 of them. Two years in the state of Texas. There's no uproar. Well, there is some, but hardly any around the nation for that. And it comes from one thing and one thing only. Thumbing noses by the federal people that took oaths of office to take care of stuff like that. They're thumbing their noses at the laws that are passed that make it a criminal act to step into across the border into the United States for anyone and everyone. Joe Biden's never, never told anybody in ICE or Border Patrol to enforce one single federal immigration law. Not one. On what authority does he make that decision? He honestly thinks he has that authority. So every few days, some news leaks out of horrors perpetrated by these illegals across the nation. Let me tell you the latest. This popped up overnight. 11 illegal aliens are among men accused of gang-raping young girls in one small Minnesota town. At least 11 illegal alien men are accused of having been involved in a house of horrors in a small town, Bemidji, Minnesota, where at least three young girls were drugged, tied up, gang-raped. That's according to local law enforcement. Late last month, an 11-year-old girl presented herself at the Sanford Medical Center's emergency department in that, in that small town to report she had been sexually assaulted. 11 years old. The case was then turned over to the Bemidji Police Department, where officers began looking for the residents where this alleged sexual assault occurred. Police soon identified a residence at 1821 America Court Northwest in Bemidji as the location of the alleged sexual assault. The victim said she was staying with an adult male relative when he put her in a car with other men and she had a bag put over her head. The men allegedly brought the victim to that residence pushed her down a flight of stairs, forced her to consume alcohol, tied her up. The victim alleges a man nicknamed Panda, later identified as 22-year-old Oscar Onesto Luna of Mission, Texas, raped her while four men watched. The victim said she was then gang-raped by an unknown a number of men. Police said the victim described a house of horrors where another young girl was tied up unconscious in a closet of the bedroom, and that a 16-year-old girl was also tied up. Two other girls were tied up as she was gang-raped. Luna, whom police identified through specific tattoos, was arrested on a warrant out of Hennepin County and also charged with first-degree criminal sexual conduct. In addition, police said many men were found at the residence when they raided it, including 11 illegals who were turned over to DHS, and that investigation is ongoing. Now, let me ask you a question. You're an American. I'm an American. 
I've got six grandsons, four grandsons. I've got six grandchildren, four grandsons, two granddaughters. Now, my granddaughters, they're twins. They're both graduating from high school, so they're a little bit older than this. How would I have felt if when they were 16 years old, they're 17, they just turned 18 actually, two years ago, how would I have felt if my twin granddaughters were forced into this house, tied up, and gang raped by a bunch of men? How would you feel if that was your granddaughter or your daughter or anybody's daughter's? None of this would have happened if Joe Biden had closed our borders and kept them closed like they tell us. They actually say almost daily from the White House pulpit in the, in the uh, press room in those meetings. When there are questions, our borders closed. It has never been closed under this president. Never, never. They never enforce the laws. So how many times is this horror story that I just shared with you. How many times is it being repeated every day? How many young children have been kidnapped? How many of them came into the United States across the southern border and they weren't with the so-called relatives they said they were with and they were brought here to be trafficked? Our investigative journalist Steve Baker spent a week undercover with a group in Houston, Texas, And what they did was they went downtown Houston. I know right where this is. There's a, um, if you know anything about Houston, downtown is low in altitude and they have water problems. There's a section of downtown under a bridge that is grown up with vegetation, small trees, bushes. There's an old building or two underneath there. And you go across it when you're riding down Interstate 45. I know exactly where it is. And they went down there, and they were with a group that had discovered young children that had escaped, that were brought across the border by cartels to be sold as sex trafficking children. And many of those that came with them had already been sold and were shipped off to who knows where. They're hiding there. And these people would go out They would bring food, and these kids wouldn't come up to them. They would wait till those people walked away from the food that they set on the ground, and they would come eat it. This is happening in the United States of America. Look at what we're told about what's going on in Manhattan. Thousands of illegals brought in. What are we going to do with them? They're in the same situation in cities around this nation. What are those people going to do with their lives? Who are they? What did they bring in with them? Are they part of a type of people like these 11 that were arrested in the upper Midwest? We don't even know. We don't have background investigation information on 99 and 9 tenths percent of these millions of people that Joe Biden has opened up and allowed to come in the nation. And he is not being held accountable for it. 
If we didn't do but one thing regarding Joe Biden, just one thing, prosecute the guy who has the the sole responsibility and made the sole decision to allow this to happen. And we could sit here and speculate for hours and days about why Why, oh, why is this being done? Why is it being allowed? And we can come up with a dozen real possible and some probable answers to that question. I'm at this point, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. There is no, none, zero, zip justification for any man, woman in politics to make it okay and instigate breaking any laws. In fact, it itself is a federal crime. Those are somebody's babies. Those are somebody's granddaughters. And right now today, across America, there are tens of thousands of boys and girls just like these that we are telling about in this story, that the same thing or worse things have happened Their parents, in many cases, wanted to send their children to America for a better life than they had in those Central American company uh, countries where they live. And they thought when they paid the men to get those kids, maybe to Hispanic relatives that are over here in the United States, but to get them across the border, they paid them to do that. And the reason these men are doing it is to traffic them. Right now, today, the United States of America is the number one destination for trafficked kids in the United States. Did you hear that? The United States of America is the number one destination for trafficked children in the world. Why is that? Do I need to spell it out to you? No, I don't need to spell it out to you. Think about that. Chattel property. They're not being treated as human beings. They're being treated as something that can be sold for a profit by evil men and women. And our president, Joe Biden, has opened the door. And I can speculate, you can speculate, on why. I'm sure money comes into the picture. Money is the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, according to the Bible. So in that process, all through the different steps, different levels, yeah, there's money involved. Is Joe Biden part of that? I have no idea. It doesn't matter. His allowing it is a violation of his oath of office And it's a violation of criminal laws. Somebody, somebody that has the power to do it. We don't need to wait and find out that there is a dollar and 50 cents that was deposited in Joe Biden's personal account that came from somebody in China. In our faces right now today, the man is suborning breaking federal immigration laws, which 
according to the laws that many of he voted on when he was a U.S. senator and they passed and were signed into law, according to those laws, this man is every day liable under federal immigration law for criminal activity that he should be prosecuted for. You can't prosecute a sitting president, we're told, by the Department of Justice. Okay, Congress, bring him up on those charges. Impeach him for those charges. And let's get something done. Let's stop what happened to these young girls from happening every day all over this nation. They didn't do anything to deserve any of that. They didn't. So why should they be stuck in the middle of something that they had nothing to do with? They didn't earn this, and they certainly don't deserve it. We've got to do something. Quit uh, playing politics. Quit talking about what great people we are, what a great nation this is. We're a great nation, and we're suborning. Our leaders are suborning, breaking thousands and thousands of times every day, federal laws. Not only are they enjoying the luxuries that come along with that, they're not being held accountable. I, for one, am sick of that. A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy and... Pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. No identity politics. No political elitism. Read and hear the truth. Always sourced from facts. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Just an update. Early in the show, we talked explicitly about what happened. uh, Speaker McCarthy 
ejected from the speaker position yesterday and who some of the likely replacements might be. Minutes ago, we learned House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, who we listed as one possibility, he announced formally he's running for speaker, the first GOP lawmaker to put his hat in the ring. House of Representatives is without an elected leader after Kevin McCarthy was ousted by that group of rebel Republicans. That's what the media are calling them, rebel Republicans. Jordan said this morning, first thing, he would step up to run for the job. House Republicans plan to hold a candidate forum next Tuesday and an election the following day. So I guess that that uh, Speaker Pro Tem that took over the interim House Speaker position and said he was sending all of the members of the House home, maybe it's for a long weekend. According to this, they got to be back because we're actually going to get some business done <laughs> instead of having recess going on all the time. Americans are sick of this. We are ready, we are ready to get down to business, the business of the United States, not the individual stuff. Other things that are happening, I told you that Glenn Beck had, um, he weighed in earlier today. Actually, it was yesterday. I'm going to play what he said on the air on his show yesterday, but it's about something that we used to hear all the time, the FCC, Federal Communications Commission that control all broadcast licensing in the United States. Every day, or at least once a week, I think it was, every station had to run an FCC test, a national broadcast system test. Well, FEMA, FEMA, not the FCC, is running something similar to that today, this afternoon. Glenn Beck weighed in on it. Okay. All right. So FEMA, and I'm doing this as a public service, FEMA, in coordination with the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, will be conducting a nationwide test of the emergency alert system, the EAS, and the wireless emergency alerts, the WEA. Now, when you think wireless, I think of my grandparents. Ah, turn on the wireless. That's what they used to call radios. But no, that's what the federal government now calls your cell phone, the wireless. The WEA portion of the test is going to be directed at all consumer cell phones tomorrow. The text message will display in either English or in Spanish, depending on the language settings of the wireless, quote, handset. Okay, I just I just would like to just point out, no one should be in charge of our emergency alert system that calls your cell phone a handset or a wireless. It uh, The EAS portion of the test is going to be sent to radios and televisions. Now, we used to have the EBS, the Emergency Broadcast System, What you're about to hear is only a test. Don't freak out. Well, freak out a little bit, and I'll tell you after the tone goes off if you should freak out a lot or not. We used to have that, and then we'd run a tone. Well, back in the Obama days, they took that away. 
And now it is initiated from the White House. Uh, The White House has its own switch that can take over all radio and television for the EBS. So the president could address you immediately. Look, I have to stop all other communications to communicate to you and tell you the absolute God's honest truth of what's happening. Wow, I feel better. So tomorrow, they're conducting this test. Now, this will be the second test that they've done to all cellular devices. They did one when it first was plugged in. They were like, we're just going to do a test. Don't freak out, America. And they did a test. And it's been like 12 years, 15 years since we've had a test. Now, for some reason, somebody's like, I wonder if this thing still works. I'm blowing the dust off it. Uh, Does it work? Hello, testing. One, two, one, two. I don't know. I don't know. So they're just testing it tomorrow, and it's perfectly normal. It just hasn't been done in 12 years. Oh, good. Well, it's always it's always good to keep on top of things. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. you're supposed to test your fire alarms every yeah, once in a while. I feel good about it. I feel good about maybe, it. Maybe, you know what? Mm-hmm. Maybe it started doing that chirp thing. Yes. Like in the middle of the night, like, they were asleep. Do we, have, like, do, we, do we have to put the battery in? What is it? Beep. Yeah. And then they were walking around like, I don't know, the Pentagon or something, mm-hmm. like looking for the one little chirp yeah, somewhere. What is that? They couldn't what find is it. that? <laughs> It took probably six mm-hmm. years. A big and they hit it button. with a broomstick? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably what happened. Um, now, in completely, by the way, that happens tomorrow at 2.20. So if you get a test, you will have to realize it's only a test. In completely unrelated news, as I told you yesterday, the former Soviet Union is also running a test, and they're running it today. Their test is of the emergency, holy crap, get out of your house, only a third of Russia is going to survive nuclear blast test. And they're doing that today nationwide. So I feel good. I feel good. Uh, The reason why we have the EBS test or the uh, EAS test or the wireless test, the reason why we have it, it was established, oh my gosh, in the, oh wow, this, what a coincidence this is. It was established in the Cold War when we realized, hey, we could all be dead in 18 minutes. So... Let's do a minute-long tone and then come out and say, hey, by the way, we're going to give you some information here, and we're going to spend about five minutes maybe telling you all the news. At the end of it, because, well, we we debated whether this or not was real, you got about three minutes to get your crap together and get on out. So that makes me feel better. Mm. Makes me feel better. Mm Mm-hmm. Makes me want, not want to carry a phone ever because I think I'd rather just, you know, you know what I mean? It's kind of like the asteroid. At this point, I'm kind of rooting for the missile. Just mm. to, yeah. I mean, it, wait, you're rooting for the missile or the asteroid? Well, really, pretty much. Just either death. one, whatever. <laughs> just sudden. Instant. I would like to be one of those people that have the shadow burned on the sidewalk, so they could always go that fat one there. That's Glenn. <laughs> that was Glenn. Not amazing. In memoriam. Yes. Be great. 
So anyway, nothing to worry about on uh, tomorrow. <laughs> nothing to worry about tomorrow. <laughs> Actually, it is today at 1.20 p.m. And I just wanted to give you a, <laughs> a little example of uh, the conspiracy part <laughs> of, of this. Not that Glenn Beck is a conspirator or a conspiracy uh, guy. He's not. But it is kind of unusual, don't you think? We haven't had one of these happen for 12 years, and it's going to happen today. So what will happen, it'll come on your phone, whatever kind of cell phone you have, and it'll be kind of like that old EBS thing. There'll be some noise, and somebody will come on and give you the facts and stuff. I don't think there's any more than that to it. Conspiracy theorists, though, they don't have to have anything real serious that's real to come up with something. They're going to scare the bejesus out of us just because they can sometimes. Back to some really serious stuff. Today, thousands of our healthcare workers are on strike in multiple states. Bet you didn't hear about this. We all have watched as the automakers strike, the UAW strike up in the Michigan area at assembly plants is still going on. But we hadn't heard about these healthcare workers. So what the heck's happening? Picketing began this morning at Kaiser Permanente Hospitals as about 75,000 healthcare workers go on strike. That's happening in Virginia, California, and three other states. They're strifing over wages and staffing shortages. That marks the latest major labor unrest in the U.S. Now, if you don't know about Kaiser Permanente, they were one of the biggest hospital chains in the nation. It's one of the larger insurers and healthcare system operators, 39 hospitals nationwide. It's a not-for-profit based in Oakland, Oakland, California, provides health coverage for nearly 13 million people, sending customers to clinics and hospitals that it runs or contracts with to provide your health care. The Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions, representing about 85,000 of the health system's employees across the nation, approved this strike for three days in California, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington, and for one day in Virginia and Washington, D.C. The strikers include licensed vocational nurses, home health aides, and ultrasound sonographers, as well as technicians in radiology, x-ray, surgical, pharmacy, and emergency departments. Doctors are not participating, thank God. Kaiser says its hospitals, including ERs, emergency rooms, are going to remain open during the picketing. The company said it was bringing in thousands of temporary workers to fill gaps during the strike, but the strike could lead to delays and getting appointments like we want that to happen, and non-urgent procedures being rescheduled. This all comes amid unprecedented worker organizing, from strike authorization to work stoppages. And that's within multiple industries this year, including transportation, entertainment, and hospitality. Wednesday's strike is the latest one for the healthcare industry this year, as it continues to confront burnout with the heavy workloads, problems that were exacerbated greatly 
by the pandemic. We still hadn't gotten through all of that, the waves that came after the fact. Unions representing these Kaiser workers in August, they asked for a $25 hourly minimum wage, as well as increases of 7% each year in the first two years, six and a quarter percent each year in the two years afterwards. They say that understaffing is boosting the hospital system's profits, but hurting patients and executives have been bargaining in bad faith during negotiations. It's the typical ownership, management, and unions representing laborers. I can't weigh in. I can't speak to the viability or the lack of viability of what these people have in their minds. I will say this. I have owned a healthcare company for 30 plus years. Right now, healthcare across the nation in every area is understaffed. I can't come up with an explanation for it. People start pontificating and speculating, but there's no facts that point to any one specific reason it's happening. I think a lot of healthcare workers saw things during the pandemic and their clinical care situations that they were in that they didn't like, scared them. I heard about a lot of it from clients, doctors, and friends. I was with one doctor that is a good friend of mine, but also my cardiologist yesterday evening. He and I have talked extensively about what's going on, and they don't even understand. He's part of a huge firm here in Northwest Louisiana, and they struggle to get workers there. And it's not because of the pay. People at that level in healthcare systems that are part of hospital chains, if you've got medical credentials, somebody wants to hire you if you're not just a zero, that, that you've got a really bad chain of work habits behind you. You're wanted somewhere. There's got to be some other reason or reasons. And I think much of it stems from the fear about what they saw in healthcare that they had never seen before. None of us had. Rationing of healthcare in the United States, that's not supposed to happen. Now, we let Glenn Beck scare you a little bit ago, <laughs> and I'm sure that didn't scare you, but I told you at the top of the show, Tucker Carlson... Tucker, who I have a lot of respect for, I really do. I've watched him through the years, and he is one of those people that is a consummate researcher. And you must understand, when somebody gets to that level in media, news media, Tucker Carlson, where he is, he had the number one rated show at Fox News for years, his nightly show. Everything that is important in pretty much every area is filtered his way. His staff, those people get it. Sometimes he gets it, and he's a consummate reader himself. He, overnight, came out with something that scared the bejesus out of me this morning. What could it be? What is it? I'm going to let you listen to Tucker tell you. I already heard this once. It's scary. Europe is where your kids spent junior year abroad. Europe is an easy flight from the East Coast of the United States to pretty much anywhere on the continent. And you know this if you've been on vacation in Europe as millions of Americans have. For the most part, they speak English in Europe. 
They've got Starbucks and Taco Bell and air conditioning and modern hospitals. It is not another world. So given that, given how closely related the United States is to Europe and has always been, you would imagine our leaders would notice when Europe began to fall apart, especially when the signs were not subtle at all, and they weren't. This summer, Germans began clear-cutting ancient forests to heat their homes. In Poland, families queued up for hours to buy coal, just like they did 150 years ago. In the UK, the government projected that more than 10,000 Britons will freeze to death, will die this winter for lack of heating fuel. Freeze to death. In England, that is not supposed to happen in a first world country. So Europe is moving backward at high speed, and it's not clear where it'll end. The European economy, meanwhile, is collapsing. Europeans are much poorer than they were when the war in Ukraine started. So how is that a victory for Europe and the West and democracy? Well, that's a fair question. It's an obvious question. But no one in Washington appears to be asking that question. Instead, the Biden administration is doubling down on the self-destructive mistakes that are destroying the European Union. The White House banned Russian oil, natural gas, and coal. It was our moral duty. And then at the same time, the Biden administration crushed domestic oil production here by canceling oil and gas leases. And then, as if that wasn't enough, the Biden administration sold a piece of our strategic petroleum reserve, maybe this country's most important resource, to China. None of this hurt Putin in any way. All of it impoverishes the United States. So what could possibly be the justification for doing that? We've wondered. Anyone who's paying attention has had to have wondered that. This country is about to run out of diesel fuel. According to data from the Energy Information Administration, there will be more, no more diesel. So what's going to happen then? Well, everything will stop. That means trucks and trains and barges all unable to move. Farm equipment will shut down. There will be no deliveries because there will be no trucks. There'll be no diesel generators. And then inevitably our economy will crash because everything runs on diesel fuel. Not on solar panels, not on wind farms, on diesel fuel. Diesel is not a negotiable commodity. You have to have diesel. So what happens when we don't have it? So just pause and savor the irony here just for a moment because now everything is irony. They've been telling you for decades since Al Gore left the White House, that the single greatest threat to the world was warming. And because of their efforts to fight warming, you are in danger of freezing. And unlike warming, freezing actually kills people, a lot of people every year. The second thing to notice is the White House spokesman's totally uninterested blasé response to the most basic question anyone could ask, which is what are we doing about the fact we're running out of diesel fuel? And he has no idea, and he's not embarrassed that he has no idea. The problem is, at this point, there may not be an answer because there may not be a way to avoid a disaster. And of course, it's not just diesel that's running out. Jet fuel is up about 23% in just the last month. Kerosene, which if you don't live in New York City, you know perfectly well is used to heat people's homes and keep them from dying is now close to $7 a gallon. Who heats with kerosene, by the way? Poor people heat with kerosene. And they're the ones who can't get it. $7 a gallon. This shouldn't be happening in this of all countries. The United States has some of the deepest, by some measures, the deepest energy reserves on the planet. 
It's our main strength. Cheap energy is the reason this is a rich country. That's the reason. That's why we're exceptional, because we have cheap energy. And this country was energy independent just a few years ago. Now, if you want to fix the economy, you would make this country energy independent once again. You would bring back cheap energy. That will fix the economy quicker than anything else. In fact, it's the only thing that'll fix the economy. But the Biden administration, for whatever reason, has done the opposite, depleting our strategic petroleum reserve, for example. They just released another 15 million barrels the other day because they know that's running out. The White House is also begging foreign governments for help in the most humiliating possible way. Biden just went and begged the Saudis in secret for more oil. But then the Saudi royal family decided not to go along with it. They're not ramping up their oil production. They're doing the opposite. Saudi's oil minister is now telling the West to brace for energy shortages. So an energy shortage is not really a debate over whether some dude should be on the girls' swim team. This is adult stuff. Countries rise and fall on the basis of what energy costs. And when there's a real energy shortage, things fall apart. Economies collapse. Poverty sets in systemic poverty. Not just in the bad part of town, but in your part of town. So this is a real thing. The problem is the people running the government are children. They not only can't admit what they've done wrong, they don't even understand it. This is embarrassing. The truth is these people are bumping right smack up against reality. And here's the reality. Catastrophe is what will happen if we run out of diesel fuel. Run out of transportation fuel. That means the first thing food shortage. Oh my gosh, food shortage. We take the availability of food, things that we would never think about. Have you spent any time in any third world country, any country other than this one? I spent several years ago, several months in four or five different European countries. And I spent, took two trips to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia is bigger than New York. It's a beautiful city if you stay in the main drag part of town. One block off of that, people are starving to death, fighting for food. You may remember in February of this year, I went to Israel, went through Qatar. Qatar is one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. It's oil wealth. But people there, there's no middle class. It's all filthy rich or paupers, people begging for food. And then even worse than any of that, I went to Zimbabwe, Africa. You remember I broadcast this show nine days in a row live from Zimbabwe, Africa. And that is, uh, Harare is the name of the capital city. That's where I was. When you drive down the streets of Harare, Zimbabwe, there are all along the roads, every road, there's no good part of town where nothing like this is is being seen. There are little bitty shacks, lean-tos, right next to the lane of traffic where people are living. And everywhere, people are in the streets begging for food. If we lose diesel, 
No trains are going to run. No transport trucks are going to run. How are we able to get food? Unless you grow everything you need in your own backyard, you're not going to be able to. And if and when you can find it, it is going to be so expensive, you won't be able to pay for it or you won't be able to pay for whatever you are accustomed to buying now for your family to eat. I don't think Tucker was trying to scare you to death. It did scare me to death listening to him. One thing I've learned years ago about Tucker Carlson, he does not talk about stuff like you just heard from him if it's not true. And then the big question, and I'll end on this. You just heard him say just a couple of days ago, Joe Biden sold another millions, millions of gallons of oil from our, the United States people's strategic oil preserves. He sold millions more. And guess who he sold them to? China. And why? Why would our president sell China anything, let alone our strategic oil reserves? What does that mean? Well, that means, you know, we're still in hurricane season. We've seen horrors happen already in this season, flooding, massive electric fallout, no electricity, no power. We're supposed to rely on those strategic oil reserves to take and intervene in our energy consumption needs when things like hurricanes, tornadoes, massive fires happen. Joe has sold it all. It's gone. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola drink up dear daddy dear mom i love you i miss you every year snowball express honors the children of fallen soldiers hi everybody i'm tony orlando join me in proudly supporting snowball express a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes we can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Do you ever watch Life, Liberty, and Levin? Comes on Sunday nights, Fox News. That's Mark Levin. Well, Levin had... Peter Schweitzer on Sunday night. Peter Schweitzer is president of the Government Accountability Institute, and they got to talking about some of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. Much of it we're not really dealing with. Mark Levin said this to Peter Schweitzer, why are there no efforts that I hear about in the United States Senate to encourage the impeachment 
or an impeachment inquiry by Republicans in the Senate. The vast majority of Republicans in the Senate, including the leadership in the Senate, why are they so silent? Schweitzer, who is really an expert on all this government intertwining stuff, he said, it's really a national disgrace. There is so much evidence for what Biden's have done, how they set up this influence scheme operation. This is essential with the impeachment articles we're set up for, the notion that foreign powers are somehow steering or manipulating or controlling or influencing our president is precisely why you have an impeachment inquiry. And yet the U.S. Senate is silent. And he added, you have to look at Mitch McConnell, who is the leader of the Republicans in the Senate. He's been there for a long time. One of the reasons they don't want to have a conversation about Chinese influence in the United States China buying off American politicians and currying favor with them is because Mitch McConnell, in my mind, is number two on the list of American politicians who are compromised by China. Joe Biden is a first. Mitch McConnell is a close second. Now, they didn't talk about the specifics about Mitch McConnell and China. I'll get to that in a second. Schweitzer concluded, essentially the Chinese government set up Mitch McConnell's family to reap huge amounts of money in the global shipping business. The Chinese government finances the construction of the shipping vessels. They build them up. They provide crews. They provide contracts. Mitch McConnell knows that if he were to step on the feet of a Beijing in any way, anger them, the Chinese communist government could destroy the family business overnight. So Mitch McConnell, out of self-preservation, not the interest of the country, wants this issue to go away. Mitch McConnell's wife, and she served, she served in a previous administration as a secretary of one of the the cabinet positions. Mitch McConnell's wife is Chinese. Her father is the wealthiest, most powerful shipping company, shipbuilder operation in the world. Think about that. Nobody owns the company in China. The Chinese government runs everything or controls it. So what I'm saying is the McConnells are beholden to China. We got a lot of moving parts going on in our life. A lot of moving parts. And our government is responsible for every one of those things that we have going on. And if they're not in total control of it, the decisions they make absolutely impact and if in in many cases are the sole reason for anything and everything that we do. We the people, we used to think, and I think we formerly were the drivers of this boat, the good ship USA. 
But it's been a long time since that was the case. Government surreptitiously over time watched as Americans got so involved in all the things of life. After World War II especially, our economy took off. We were at peace for a good while. Yeah, we had the Korean conflict. And then in the 60s, we had Vietnam. Neither of those were good for us. But technology took off, and with it came money, international business. We were involved with every country on the planet that is a, uh, a manufacturing company, a country, had freedom in their business operations. We were involved with them, and Americans got really, really busy, so busy that we just decided, hey, we're going to let our government take over and take care of everything. That's where we're living today, folks. We've got to do something about it. We've got to stop that. We've got to take back control of our nation or we lose this. And with that, I wish you a great Wednesday. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and every weekday morning, 9 a.m. Central. Thank you for being part of the TNN Live family. What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel, got to go round. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. Ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel spin. You got no money, you got no
Spinning wheel fly 